0: Welcome to the British History Podcast. If you love British history, then you are definitely in the right place. My name is Philippa and I will be taking you through British history, the people, the events, the intrigue, some of the stories you may think you know, but you don't know them in the way I tell them. And then hopefully I will also be able to introduce you to something new too. Now this podcast is free and it always will be. But if you would like more history-lover benefits, then please consider coming and joining me over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash British History. But for now, let's get into today's episode. As promised, we are following day by day the events in the downfall of Anne Boleyn. This week we're looking at what happened to her and the case against her between the 4th and the 10th of May. (music) On the 4th of May we find her in prison in the Tower. Anne had been in a state of fear and hysteria since she was brought to the Tower two days earlier. Cromwell had given instruction to the Constable of the Tower, William Kingston, to report back on all of Anne's ramblings, of which there were many while she was in this state. Not only was Anne's every move being recorded and reported on, but she had no supporters around her. Her ladies-in-waiting had all been appointed by Thomas Cromwell and were ladies unsympathetic to her. Her ladies-in-waiting included Sir William Kingston's own wife, Mary Scrope, who was happily reporting back on Anne's frequent ramblings. On the 4th of May, Anne complained to Kingston about the cruel treatment she was receiving. She was beginning to wonder, perhaps this was a test from Henry. Perhaps she held out hope that the Henry she once knew was still there, the one that had moved heaven and earth to marry her. So surely he, he would want her to be innocent. And once he was reassured of that, he would also see how much she still loved him, how much she was still true to him. She went on to talk about the good deeds she's done and that even if death was to come to her, that surely she would have a place in heaven. On the 5th of May, there were two further arrests, Sir Thomas Wyatt, known for his poetry, and Sir Richard Page, who was a gentleman of the Privy Council. That took the total of men in the Tower of London caught up in this plot against Anne to seven. So just to recap, the men now in the Tower, we had Mark Smeaton, who was the court musician. He was the first one to be arrested. We have Sir Henry Norris, who was one of the closest friends to Henry VIII and the chief gentleman of his privy chamber. George Boleyn, Lord Rochford, Anne's own brother. They were all, they were the first three to be arrested. Then we have Sir Francis Weston, um, arrested after Anne's ramblings, which I covered last week and Sir William Brereton, who was a bit of an odd one because he was the only one who's not actually uh, known to have been within and sort of in a circle. And then obviously today, on this day, we had Sir Thomas Wyatt and um, Sir Richard Page. Not only was Henry going to lose his wife in these events, but he was looking at losing a lot of his close personal friends. Um, Another man who was questioned on the 5th of May but he wasn't arrested was a man called Sir Francis Bryan and he was already, he'd already aligned his uh, loyalties with the pro-Seymour, anti-Berlin faction so it's likely that his arrest was more for show. Perhaps Cromwell was beginning to think that it would look a little bit suspicious if Everyone who was questioned was arrested. So perhaps this was a bit of a setup. It doesn't seem to be that Sir Francis Bryan was in any real danger, and the fact that he was the one who delivered the news of Anne's condemnation in uh, after her trial directly to Jane Seymour really indicates that his loyalties were already well aligned. Sir Francis Bryan was also going to be the one who took over the position of Chief Gentleman of the Privy Chamber, which had been left vacant by Henry Norris. This is the day that the famous From the Lady in the Tower letter was supposed to have been written from Anne to her husband Henry. This letter, it's eloquent, it's familiar in tone, it's very Anne, and it gets its name from the fact that on the top of the uh, letter it was annotated from the lady in the tower. Anne begins with an admission of not understanding why she should even be in the tower and therefore she couldn't answer to whatever it is she was supposed to have done. She goes on to declare her loyalty and her affection to the king. Further on, she mentions that she is aware that he has affections for another. She pleads with him to give her a lawful and fair trial. In the following paragraph she chastises him and she says but if you have already determined of me and that not only my death but my infamous slander then I desire of God that he will pardon your great sin therein and goes on to express that when they both come before God in judgment it will be her who is sufficiently cleared. In her final paragraph she shows incredible mastery of the situation which had unfolded with blinding speed. She pleads that the innocent souls of those poor gentlemen caught up in this action against her be spared and if there anyone should fall it should be her alone. She also mentions her daughter Princess Elizabeth, the future Queen Elizabeth who was only two years old at this time just showing like any loving mother that her daughter, her child was on her mind. The letter's authenticity has been debated over the centuries, but many modern historians believe that it is genuine and that many of the, uh, the pieces of evidence for it being a fake can easily be countenanced. If Anne did write this letter, then it is superbly eloquent in contrast to this hysterical ramblings that she'd made on the previous two days. Um, but it is so Anne. How could anyone else have written it? Um, If they did, they expressed her character perfectly. Um, Perhaps the act of writing this letter to her husband brought her into a calmer state, one in which she could better craft what she actually wanted to say. Assuming it was genuinely written or more likely dictated by Anne, it was found in Cromwell's papers, which indicates that it never reached Henry so we can only be left wondering that, if it had, would it have made a difference? On the 7th of May, Anne's chaplain, William Latimer, was searched on his return uh, to England from the continent. He was on errands for Anne and, fortunately, nothing was found which would compromise either him or Anne, which was lucky because on previous trips he had brought back reformist text for her. On the same day, Anne asked if her almoner, John Skip, would be permitted to come and visit her um, at the Tower. She was looking now, for she needed spiritual comfort. We move on to the 8th of May. We know with the power of hindsight what happened and we can kind of unpick events and look at them uh, as if they were an inevitable pathway to uh, an already defined outcome. However, the people at, people at the time also seemed to have an incredible understanding of what was happening. Letters were being sent to those with the power to redistribute estates and positions that would be up for grabs should the men be found guilty. On the 9th of May, King Henry VIII called a council meeting at Hampton Court Palace. We don't know what was discussed, but it would be logical to think that Cromwell was there with a report of how the investigation into Anne and her accomplices was going. Also on this day, orders were given to the Sheriff of London to assemble a jury the following day to rule on the offences which had had allegedly happened at Whitehall and Hampton Court Palace. The 10th of May was the date for the Middlesex indictment. Middlesex was the county or is the county in which London uh, is situated. The jury heard the indictments against Henry Norris, George Boleyn, William Burton, Francis Weston and Mark Smeaton. And the charges used lewd terms designed to shock and disgust those present and those who would hear about the detail of the crimes that the Queen and these men at court were supposed to have committed. The charges that talked about Anne, following daily her frail carnal lust, drawing the King's daily and familiar servants into base conversations and kisses, touchings, gifts and other infamous incitations and that several had yielded to her vile provocations. Now to read this now, it's easy to sort of scoff at how ludicrous the charges sound. There's simply no way that Anne as queen could have got away with this with so many men and it not have been noticed earlier. It gets even more ridiculous when you hear the dates that the alleged crimes were supposed to have taken place. So the timescales, again, The Queen was supposed to have been getting away with these um, sexual encounters with men close to the King for months and months and months and months. Also, if anyone had looked into the dates in any detail, they would be able to immediately uh, show that the Queen wasn't actually at the location that the crime was supposed to have taken place at on the date that was given. So there was a cynical addition to each of the dates which just read various other times both before and after but it didn't stop there because apparently jealous of each other Anne was trying to keep the men happy by promising that she would marry one of them after the king's death. Now this was Uh, the addition which made this even more serious they were talking about the king's death in a way that made it sound like they were plotting the king's death not only was Anne supposed to be one of the most powerful and persuasive seductresses that ever lived but her lust was so insatiable that she would even go so far as to seduce and lure her own brother into her bed she kept multiple lovers, whom supposedly knew all about each other, managing their jealousy with gifts and promises of potential marriage, all, all underneath the nose of the king and the rest of the court. The charges may have been designed to engender shock and disgust at Anne and the supposed uh, her supposed accomplices, but also let's face it, it was quite obvious to any observer that the fates of the men were sealed and for a reason not disclosed in court, so would anyone actually pipe up against them? So the indictments read were enough to send the men to trial, which was a good job seen as the message to Sir William Kingston, constable of the Tower, uh, to bring up the men for trial in two days time had already been sent.